fix the money, fix the food. Families report food insecurity. Shake your rancher's hand. Shake your rancher's hand. Mixed up our reporting on the global food crisis. It's the source, the source, the source, the source, the source. Welcome back to Bitcoin and a Sovereign Rancher. Now before we continue on with this episode's adventure, we wanted to take a moment to check in with Ann Warren from Holy Cow Beef. If you remember from last week, Coco shared the story of raising her kids to have food intelligence, and even brought us along on a day of heritage education. Now after hearing the episode, Anne had more thoughts to share on the topic, and her story serves as a stark contrast to that of our main character, Ronnie Jimenez. Without the wisdom of people like Anne, our journey into food intelligence wouldn't be complete. So let's give her a listen. It's such a treat for me, I'm sure for every woman, but such a treat for me to hear little voices and a mother who takes the time to homeschool. Um, I know we're not all called to that, but man, it's just so beautiful because we are all called to be the first educators of our children. So I just want to say how wonderful it is to hear Coco's lessons with her children. Um, They really are very, um, I don't know, reminiscent of me with my children and you know, not every single day is sweet, um, but every single day is filled with so much love, and you can just hear the love coming through in her lessons. Uh, I especially loved the ones with the chickens. I mean, who doesn't love hearing the chickens in the background? Um, that was that was pretty cool. Uh, and I know that um, harvesting tomatoes, we're going to kind of reflect on how important it is to start teaching children very young age where their food comes from and why it's important to take care of our land and our soil and to be regenerative and sustainable and all those buzzwords. I don't ever think children are too young to to hear those stories. Um, I, I do have this one story that I love to share um, talking about homeschooling my own children. Uh, there was, um, because it has to do with their soul, you know, S-O-U-L, their soul, and just how important it is in homeschooling as opposed to public school, we get to really focus on character education. Um, And I think that is so vital, especially um, it just dovetails right into Texas Slim's uh, Shake Your Rancher's Hand, you know, make it personal. Life should be personal. I, I don't like all these comments when people say, oh, it's not personal. It's just business. It's not personal. It's just education. It's not personal. I don't want to get attached to my students. I've just got to get them educated. It all needs to be personal. And I think you can hear that in Coco's teaching of her own children, just how personal it is um, to grow your own garden, to harvest your own tomatoes, to feed and care for your own chickens, um, and to allow the chickens to bless you with the fruit of their eggs and the fruit of their meat. Um, just just beautiful, and children need to be part of every single moment of that. Um, but anyways, let me tell you about this one this one time that just is is such a beautiful story. Um, my sister had a um, a young baby. She's quite a bit younger than me, 
um, who was only about 14 months when he had men- or caught meningitis. And it was very severe. He ended up having three or four strokes. One of them was um, dead center in his brain. So um, at this now here, he's already 20, I think 20 or 21 years old. Um, and he's still wheelchair bound, still non-communicative. Um, but uh, but communicative as in verbal skills, non-communicative and verbal skills, but he's just amazing person. You know, he definitely gives back in his own way. Um, and so when this first happened, my children, when he first got sick and was in the hospital and we just, it was kind of touch and go for a while, um, my children were at that young um, elementary, maybe barely beginning, um, maybe as old as six, seven grade. I don't think they were already into eighth grade. So definitely young elementary, that that uh, um, third grade, fourth, fifth, sixth, kind of in, in there. Um, and we loaded up the car to drive from Texas to Michigan to go and see my sister. But like all families who commit to having a stay-at-home mom, um, and only one income coming in and and spend the time and the money to educate their own children at home and to bring that heritage woman into the house where she's that grounded, that pillar of um, stability inside the home, it, it cost. It cost money. And so it... Um, w- Anyways, we didn't have a lot of money, so we needed to really budget and be very, very careful with our money. Well, that's hard to communicate to children who, as you're driving across the country, they want to stay at the best hotels with the biggest pools and, you know, eat at the fanciest restaurants because it's a treat. We're traveling. But this year, this trip was we were traveling on a dime. So I needed them to be involved and committed to the budget as much as I was, Um So we put it all out on paper and I said, this is what it's going to cost us to get there and back. This is all the money we have to get all the way to Michigan and to get back. And so I'm going to divide this into five. There's four children and one mom in the car and we're going to all participate. You get to manage your money. There's certain things that you have to spend money on, such as gas. We all have to split the gas. When we go to a restaurant, you're in charge of how much money you get to. My children were in charge of how much money they get to um, spend on their meal. If they wanted to order a super expensive meal, that meant that they might not have enough money to go to the apple cider farm and buy a trinket or a toy or get that extra um, glass of apple cider, um, or they might not, you know, do certain other things that re- still required money. So it was really important for me that they understand the value of money and how to begin to budget. So there's four very different personalities in my children. Um, two of them are um, very, uh, what I would say, compliant and very uh, budget-minded, and they managed their money well. On the way home, after doing all that we had done, um, we were all the way, had one more stop to make, and we stopped at Cracker Barrel uh, for a meal. And they um, had money, and they ordered this because they had extra money. They were going home with a little bit of money in their pocket. Those two had done so well. They... Um, had ordered pretty big meals because they were, you know, celebrating that they accomplished this uh, two and a half, three week trip and stayed within budget and came home with money to spare that they were going to be able to put in to their little accounts um, because they didn't buy big trinkets at toys and they kept, they ate modestly at restaurants. And then I had two other children that 
um, just you put money in their hands and they just burn through it. So by the time, and they did very well on this, it was two and a half, three weeks. They did, those two did very well, but they definitely ran out of money by the time we came to that last dinner. So one of the things we had all agreed upon was that um, there would be times that we would just make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in the car. So they, they, we still had a little bit of bread left, a little bit of peanut butter, a little bit of jelly left. So they went ahead and, and made their little sandwiches. Um, and uh, the other two, the two that had money, and I went in to, to order um, our dinner. So um, that was back in the time when you could let your kids kind of uh, go to the car without themselves, without a parent. So they, they came in, the two that had spent all their money came in just as our meal was being served. Um, and the two that had extra money looked at the two that had no dinner, even though everybody was very fine because everyone knew the rules and we'd been living this way for three weeks. And so everyone, nobody was mad or upset or um, jealous or anything. They were just participating in family time. And the two that had ordered um, probably shrimp, probably surf and turf knowing them, but shrimp, you know, some kind of expensive meal shared their meals with the two that had to eat the peanut butter and jelly. And it was such a beautiful moment of homeschooling, such a beautiful moment of character building. And the two that received the gift of the fancy meal, they were so humble and so grateful. And it was just such a great bonding experience after having part of our trip was pretty difficult dealing with a very sick baby. Um, but then coming home and just having this really great bonding moment. I, I wish that we could just listen to Anne all day long. And in addition to providing all this wisdom, Anne also raises some of the finest cattle in the United States. This is just what I've heard. No offense to Cole Bolton from KNC Cattle. Anyway, thanks, Anne. Now keep Anne's story in mind as we dive into Ronnie's. Ronnie's journey is one that's relatable across ages and cultures. His story begins in the small town of DeRitter, Louisiana, where his mother had a revelation that God was leading her family west to San Antonio, Texas. This turning point would introduce Ronnie to a more modern life, but also lead to a deterioration in his health. And that's where we'll pick up his story. You're listening to Bitcoin and the Sovereign Rancher, Episode 4, Fork in the Road. Fix the money, fix the food. This is Bitcoin June for Texas Slims Media. I was driving in San Antonio recently when I saw Long John Silver's off the highway. This is Ronnie Jimenez. It brought back memories of my childhood in DeRitta, Louisiana. You see, DeRitta was a little blink town tucked away in the backwood pines, about four hours northwest of New Orleans and five hours northeast of San Antonio. One day, my parents had a revelation from God to pick up our family and move to San Antonio. So we did just that. We packed up our bags and hit the road. The first day we got there, we stopped to eat at Long John Silver's. And it wasn't too long after that that I was eating stuff like Hot Pockets almost every day. Hot Pockets! As I'm driving, with Long John Silvers in my rear view, 
A sermon about gluttony comes on the radio. I can remember clear as day my terrifying trips to the emergency room. My mother praying and doing the best she could to make sense of what had become a regular occurrence. My stomach problems weren't getting better. They were just getting worse. And no one could explain why. Coming from a religious family, my parents naturally blamed gluttony. But exactly what that meant wasn't clear. For them, it meant that I was simply eating too much. But I knew that wasn't the case. I see now that I was just filling the void left by a lack of nutrition. Back then, I didn't know how to have food intelligence or what that even meant. But now, I know how to look for the source of the seed, and I see gluttony is no longer a choice for most of us. You see, first they debase the money, and then they debase the food. And with it, all our healths have suffered. conversation I helped facilitate between Ronnie and another friend of the Beef Initiative, Kale Hyder. You might remember Kale as he recently appeared on I Am Texas Slim and discussed his journey into sound health. Part of our work here with Bitcoin and the Sovereign Rancher is the exploration of each other's stories and perspectives, especially as they relate to the transformation of our consumption models. So I wanted to facilitate a conversation between Kale and Ronnie that would show how they found their way back to good health. Let's listen in. Yeah, so we, I grew up, I was born in Lake Charles, uh, Louisiana, and then uh, grew up in, in a small itty bitty blink town called DeRitter, Louisiana. And it was really very slow and basic stuff. We had a McDonald's and not a lot of other stuff, you know? And we were relatively poor at the time. So, like, we didn't have a lot of extravagant stuff. Like, and a lot of, I feel like when I was young, a lot of the processed food was just coming on the market as well. You know, I remember when Hot Pockets became a thing, you know? I was like, ooh, Hot Pockets, and we'd have to go to my grandma, my grandma's house to get it, you know? She'd, she'd buy stuff from the, the Walmart that just came into town. they put out the Piggly Wiggly, you know? Um, and so that was a big deal, too. And they brought in all these new foods, you know, but we couldn't really afford that kind of stuff so we ate basic food still but when we went over to my grandma's we got pop tarts and all kinds of stuff that it, it was coming out the new stuff you know it wasn't until we moved to san antonio where we started having access to all these grocery stores and and at that point there was already i was much older as well we moved when i was 11 um so that like more things were being introduced you know and so we'd eat just all kinds of stuff. My mom, we got a Sam's card, you know. My mom made sure that we were, like, stocked up on stuff all the time, you know. We had endless Hot Pockets. I, I definitely remember Hot Pockets, like, endless amounts, you know. Uh, we ate little sausage biscuits in the mornings from Sam's and just a lot of box stuff. We had chips every day, Cokes, that kind of stuff growing up um, after we moved to San Antonio. Like, Sam's was our best friend, you know. Um, so we ate, I, my, my diet got a lot worse. I mean, we were eating cheap food in Debrider, but it, and, and a lot of fried stuff and, and things that typically aren't good for you. Is, but when we really started getting into what I consider the poisons, you know, all the fake processed stuff, was once we moved to San Antonio and had access to all the stores and, and stuff. And I guess we were doing financially a little bit better uh, after, after a while being here. And so 
yeah, my mom would, like I said, go to Sam's and, and keep our refrigerator and freezers and pantries stocked. So we even in the garage had this whole little area that she just had of overflow stuff where, like I said, we had chips and candies and Debbie snacks. Always had Debbie. And we had these all, all the time, like all month. Like we'd have these at, at our disposal, you know? Um, and so that's when I, like, really started getting worse was once we moved to San Antonio about fifth and sixth grade and when I started getting sick in the mornings. Um, and I look back now and I do see that correlation between having access to all these new foods that we thought were cool and great. Um, and in hindsight, you know, 30 years later, like maybe they weren't that great for us, you know? How about, how about you, Kale? What are, what are your memories of, of your eating habits from the past? So I grew up in a small, medium sized town in Iowa. I feel like I grew up on, uh, not, you know, necessarily the standard American diet, maybe a little bit, you know, improved or what my parents at least thought was improved, um, from a, a lot of chicken, a lot of rice. You know, those were the types of foods in my house. My parents, you know, were against any uh, packaged snacks, you know, packaged candies. So I'm thankful for that. But what I did have a lot was the packaged cereals. So I can remember growing up every single morning, it would be chocolate checks or Fruit Loops or Apple Jacks. And I would have that before I went to school or some variety of oatmeal. And then after dinner, right before going to bed every night, it would be a granola bar or it would be more cereal. So I didn't grow up on the Debbie snacks or candies, but I grew up maybe on a sister, you know, or an alternative to those, which I think are just as bad for us because of the, the amount of sugar, the amount of oils in those cereals, those Kellogg cereals, and they're very deceptive. You know, you can have Special K red berries. My dad eats that all the time. He's like, look, it has strawberries. It has these these whole wheat flakes. And I'm like, Dad, that's great. But look at the look at the sugar content, and look at the second or third ingredient: canola oil or sunflower oil, right? So these foods that I grew up on, that my parents bought and still think are safe. I was consuming multiple times per day. And now, thankfully, I no longer do. I realized I was addicted to those foods. When I tried to come off of those cereals and granola bars, I would always be thinking, Where, where's, that, where's that granola bar? Where's that, where's that kind bar? Where's that cliff bar? And it took several weeks, maybe several months, before I no longer, at 1030 at night, you know, habitually walked over to the cupboard to get a a kind bar or a cliff bar so that I was satisfied enough to go to bed. So I feel like that was the hallmark if you wanted to paint what my, my eating habits were was, you know, lean chicken and, you know, never red, red meat, very rarely red meat, a lot of lean chicken and rice and just cereal and oatmeal and granola bars all day to supplement and try to not be hungry all the time. And so how did you feel like, like this is a question for both of you you know like can you can you remember how your body felt different 
during that period? I mean, Ronnie, it may have been a little bit more extreme for you since you were getting so sick. Yeah, well, I would say that, like, I mean, to really make the connection, it wasn't until I've done the Beatnist and started doing the reproduction thing did I really make the connection. But looking back in time, I do recognize that once we moved to San Antonio, um, that same year that I started, like, fifth and sixth grade, that I started getting sick uh, in the mornings and stuff. I Now that you say it about I was just jogged a memory that like they put me in a like a special kids class like for like slow kids you know mm-hmm. uh, like like i was mentally um challenged or whatever the words are you know and so you like literally i was in class like they take me out of class like once out of day you know and take one period out of class and you were with these special kids and like when i got to high school and college you know i'm, I'm in honors and stuff like that but like back then, I always thought that was weird, but now that maybe it was the food, you know? Um, but yeah, for the most part of the actual physically getting sick, it was mostly just in the mornings that, that I'd get sick, you know, or I'd wake up in the middle of the night um, throwing up, you know? And my mom, uh, she'd always, you know, they're both ministers, so they see everything through like a, a religious light. And um, she used to tell me, oh, that I was being a glutton. It's uh, one of the seven deadly sins, you know? And at the time, I really thought that she was right onto something, you know. I was like, oh, okay, mom, yes, mom, yes, mom. But now I realize, well, if I was being glutton and get sick, you get sick, like, fairly quickly after you consume that stuff, you know. Not hours and hours later when you go to sleep. That was starting to become a regular thing, and i just get sick, and she'd find me in the morning, like, asleep on the bathroom floor because I'd throw up all night, you know. Um, but after that passed in the day, like, my days would be pretty fine you know, for the most part, as far as the pain and stuff. Uh, but looking back, like some of the early uh, struggles I had, like mentally, perhaps, like in school, possibly were due to the food food stuff, you know? How about you, Kel? So, you know, when you said that, you know, how did you feel? It, like Ronnie said, I, you know, I think looking back, it's easier to tell why I was feeling certain ways, but this is a saying that we use in the Bitcoin space sometimes, or others have used, where you can't assess the system from within the system. I think Jeff Booth has something along those lines, but it's it's essentially saying, you don't know what you don't know because this is the only reality that you've ever known. So you don't know why things are certain ways because you've never experienced anything differently. So when I started, eating better, right? Clean, clean red meat, you know, you know, fatty pieces from my local farmer. Then I could start assessing, okay, what happens if I eat a lot of carbs or if I eat a lot of sugary snacks or if I eat a high carb pizza, right? Then you start to really feel it because your body is adjusted to, you know, a cleaner diet, a healthier diet. And then when you when you try to put in that sugary ice cream, it just doesn't work because your body's adjusted. So I, I don't think at the time, you know, at the time I was feeling fatigue, I was feeling a lack of concentration, but I probably just thought that that was the way I was built. And it wasn't because of the fuel that I was inputting into my body. But now having this perspective and knowing what, you know, fatty meats, a lot of protein can do, and pretty much eliminate that fatigue throughout the day. I understand that it it was the it was the cereals, it was the oatmeal, it was the constant 
carbohydrate injections that was causing those, you know, bad symptoms. And so I think that leads us into what is your most vivid memory of how your food shift has changed your life? Thinking about those things that, you know, like Ronnie, you said, you, you know, you were put in like the slow kids class, but then we're honors later on. And like, what's up with that? And, um, you know, Kale, you know, what, what you've, what are, what is, what has your transformation been like? Like a, vi a vivid, a vivid sort of visceral, if you have one. So, you know, for me, I think it's, the transformation has, you know, most fully been experienced in that early afternoon setting where I'm sitting at work after having gotten in at 7, 7.30, and it's now 1, 1.30, and I've been working hard for five, six hours. And when I go and eat, you know, I, I always bring a half pound of, of hamburger patties or gra ground beef to work. When I eat that at work now, I can continue on into the deep afternoon without feeling like my coworkers, like I need a nap or I need a coffee now, or I'm not going to be able to make it the rest of the day. So the concentration, the lack of fatigue, the laser focus for me is what, you know, this transformation has allowed where before I would get to that 1.30, 2 PM and I was checked out. I needed to do all of my heavy tasks in the morning because I could not complete them in the afternoon due to a lack of energy. So I feel like that's what the transformation for me has been. It definitely relates to the energy thing. I remember, I mean, all throughout high school, all throughout, like, even in my adult years, a nap was kind of necessary. Like in work, in work life, around three or maybe four, three ish, like I get really tired, like all the time. Um, I haven't had uh, experience of health until most recently, maybe the last 10, 10 11 months, you know? Um, so, I mean, this was the majority of my life feeling weak, tired, you know? Um, I'm never really great at sports because I do remember getting tired all the time. Um, just uh, more recently is when I've started feeling like the difference, you know? I, I just thought something was deeply wrong with my body, you know? Um, I, I had various diseases according to the doctors, you know? Uh, but once I have moved over my, my food, man, it's like night and day. I, I, I can wake up early, naturally, cook food for the kids before they even get up, get ready to go and work physical labor and then go like use my brain afterwards, you know? And, and still have time to have an enjoying evening, you know? Um, that was unheard of for the majority of my life, you know? Uh, it's 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 only been a short period that I've experienced health, but in that short amount of time, and it's it's dramatically different. It's night and day. In January, I had one of the worst episodes I had in a while. It was a ten day period, which I was couldn't. I just woke up sick, and it went. And instead of lasting a day or two, it lasted ten full days. And in that time, it's like nonstop literal pain. Like the entire time, my back is killed, like just my back, my gut, my chest is all in excruciating pain. Um, I'm, I'm using heating pads and, and hot water baths. Um, I couldn't eat anything. If I tried to drink, 
I could only swish it around in my mouth. Uh, if I tried to swallow anything, I'd, I'd throw up bile. Um, and so that lasted for 10 full days of excruciating like torture. And it's kind of, I, I really don't feel like I have the words to describe how, how torturous that, that period was, you know? So I'm just literally like coming off of that, that 10 days. And then shortly after, you know, um, in a very serendipitous way, I'm, I'm sitting at my desk in my office in the study with family study, you know, and, uh, I'm just doing rabbit hole research. Just, I'm constantly looking up something like my little brain, like find something and looks up something. So I'm listening to Joe Rogan in the background and, uh, Adam Curry starts bringing up the beef initiative and does a shout out to Texas Slim. My boy, Texas Slim, he says, you know. Well, here's what I know. The process is number one. Right. I've learned this from my buddy, Texas Slim. That's and a great name. He, yes. Well, and he kind of came out of semi-retirement. He's a little bit young. He's about our age, a little younger, um, to start the Beef Initiative. And so he's setting it up so people are getting connected with, you know, just basically with directly with farmers and food and, you know, using Bitcoin as kind of the common network. But more importantly, he's writing and educating people um, uh, about food. And one of the most compelling arguments for me, he said, look at pictures of my, because he's a 12th generation Texan or something. He said, look at pictures of my great, great grandparents. How do they look? So, you know, they, they got some shitty ass clothes on, but they look pretty good. Yeah. Now, now go to Houston. How do people look now? And I immediately like uh, paused that and got on, stopped what I was doing and started looking up Texas Slim and found the beef initiative. Um, started following them on Twitter, following everybody who else like I could get suggestions from from Twitter to, to follow. And that information is what got me to go like really push me into the carnivore diet. And I got uh, Sean, Dr. Sean Baker's book, read that, and started really getting into it. You know, and it took me a couple months to fully transition, um, but it was that period that started it all. And, and in that time, um, I did start seeing like small getting better getting better getting better and so i started getting more and more into it at the same time delving into all the issues that everyone in the beef initiative was talking about getting to see the vision that slim was outlaying so i came across texas slim in early august when i was at work and slim was on marty's show tfgc and it was a live recording it was early in the morning around, you know, eight or nine-ish. We're, we're doing a cross-pollination rip here on TFTC and the Beef Initiative. Yes, we're, uh, we're innovating through it, and, you know, we're just going to do it. We're not going to sit here and bump our gums. Well, we're going to bump our gums, but we're just going to do it. Yeah. What are we bumping our gums about today, boys, in Texas history? Am I getting a lesson today? I think you're part of the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> you are part of it. Why? And I usually never watch those live recordings because... I'm busy or I'm, I'm handling something else. Uh, for whatever reason, it was a lighter day, and I just had uh, Slim and Marty going back and forth um, about the state of the food industry at large, the you know the corporations involved, as well as like the Beef Initiative's mission or vision. So when I first heard Texas Slim speak, it was one of those like paradigm shift moments where you feel like something has changed, you feel different, you feel enlightened. And I think it's because Slim came with so much 
facts and history and authenticity. So he had all the receipts for what he was saying, meaning he had knowledge, he was backed up, and he just spoke in such a transparent manner that you felt like you could trust him or you felt like there was something there worth looking into. So I watched that entire two, two and a half hour show from start to finish. And, you know, from there, I can't say I, I immediately was, you know, on a carnivore diet or that I immediately had uh, relationships with local farmers. But what I decided to do was go to my local farmer's market that weekend. And I didn't know what I was going to do there, but I was going to go meet producers meet ranchers and see what they had to offer. And that led me that Sunday to go over to the, um, the local farmer's market. And I bought, you know, a, a pound or two of ground beef, some sausages, and that was about it. You know, it wasn't a large order. I was just getting my feet wet. I was kind of intimidated. And then over time, I went back every single weekend. I started ordering more and more food because as I tasted the food, and as I felt nourished by the food, I knew I wanted more of that food and less of the packaged, you know, chips or granola bars or whatever I was using to sustain myself throughout the day. So, you know, over the last few months, I've transitioned from going to the farmer's market to establishing relationships with two local producers, one that I get all of my meat from, so ground beef, burger patties, steaks, sausages, and then another local producer who I get all of my raw dairy from. So raw milk, sharp cheese, uh, different cuts of bacon, you know, you, you name it. So now I have these two relationships established because of Texas Slim and him telling me that I needed to create these local supply chains and support my local rancher. So that's like... You know, going to the grocery store or getting getting those uh, getting fast food or that's that's a lifestyle. You know, it's it's not intentional at all. You know, but um, but it's definitely a lifestyle, and I feel like what you're doing, Kale, and what we're gonna I'm gonna talk I'm gonna ask Ronnie about next is, you know. Slim talks about the the new international lifestyle. And when I first heard that, I was a little like, what's this guy up to? <laughs> you know, uh, international lifestyle. I don't know. It seems a little far-fetched, right? But then I started thinking about things like, like I just said, like, wow, the international lifestyle is is actually just knowing where your food comes from. But doing that is just, I mean, that's enough. Like that is a lot. That's a lot to do, to go to the farmer's market, to meet your local rancher, to then go to the ranch itself. That's a whole, that's a whole lot. And um, so that's what I kind of want to talk about now. And um, I mean, you just, uh, Kale, you just, you know, told us, you know, about your, about how you live that international lifestyle. So I'm curious, Ronnie, how your consumption model has changed. And so I want to ask you what you think, 
of the new international lifestyle? You know, what is that? Well, that intentional living that we're talking about, you know, uh, for me, it started, well, luckily I live in Texas, so there's a lot of like connection here and the beef initiative sort of started here, you know, with Cole, uh, out of Austin, you know, so I had someone, I'm not that far from Austin. So that's where I, I, I went to, to get, start getting my beef, you know, um, I'm still working on a, like a sovereign life. So there's like some limitations to that still. So it's not like I'm sourcing all my meat from there. Um, uh, regrettably, I still have to use, uh, um, like we still get like government assistance, you know, so we still do have to go to the grocery store for now. But out of the personal money that I do get, um, I do try to spend the majority of that on, on high quality beef from local ranch, mainly him. I also joined a co-op here in San Antonio. Um, it's called the Farm Connection. And instead of having to uh, travel, like the Miller's Farm is where I was getting my milk from. And I, on the weekends, have to travel like an hour over to Hondo to pick up milk, you know, and then bring it back. Now I can go directly to this uh, local co-op, which delivers uh, Miller's Farm milk to us, you know. In, in efforts to live an international lifestyle, it's been an iterative, like multiple steps. And I'm still headed that way. I'm not completely even engulfed in it yet. But the first step was still at the grocery store, but like... I did start buying grass-fed stuff, labeled, you know, ooh, it's grass-fed, it must be better, you know. Um, that was probably the first step. And then um, the second step was finding coal. And at the time, I drove up to Austin. I didn't get to meet Cole that first time. I met Michael, um, one of their, the guys that worked there, you know. Um, and he hooked me up. I got several, I got like $200 worth of stuff. I think, it, you know, it was probably around my birthday because I think I had extra money. And so... Um, I spend it all on, on beef from there, you know? And then uh, I was, I've been trying to get my family involved, my sisters and stuff, but not a lot of interest, so I just keep raising the money on my own. And so I'd go to Austin every every couple months and buy buy more food, you know? Um, and eventually I did, like, maybe two months after that first meeting with Michael, I, I, I met Cole. And uh, we got a visit for a little while, and I gave him a little bit of my story. Um, I really was really impressed with him and his the way he, what he had to say as well, and the business that he described, you know. And he hooked me up with some really good price meat. Like he was just like really hooked me up. <laughs> he basically gave me some stuff for free, <laughs> you know. And so that stocked up my my freezer for a while. Um, and and there was other a, a few other places that like local places and I I, I knew a ranch rancher the Clawson Ranch at the time I'm working there now but I I, did, I just knew knew him at the time and so I, I was meeting other ranchers and trying to taste their their meats and stuff um, Cole's I gotta say was still the best uh, my favorite out of it all you know and uh, now as I'm trying to go back into the workforce and. Uh, get off of government assistance, you know. I'm trying to establish that with coal where I can start buying the bi-weekly like packages, you know, boxes. Um, and so those are my steps that I'm still on that journey, you know, as because I was just so sick, I couldn't work, you know. So my family was reliant on the government for help. But now that I'm, I'm getting better, that is like my biggest goal is to become that sovereign individual and get away from the state. You know, and 
Cole is, is, is instrumental in that, not only through, through the meat that he's providing me, but working at the plant, and, and he's giving me those opportunities to work and, and become more sovereign in that way and be able to be free of the, of the state. Because it's always been a heavy burden on my mind and my spirit that that's something we've, we've had to do, you know. But with four kids, you know, like I don't really have a lot of options there, you know. Uh, you got to feed them somehow, you know. So I'm very grateful to where Cole has just held my hand throughout this time. Um, I started texting him, and, or not texting him, but emailing him. Um, really long, long, somewhat inappropriate emails, just like bearing my soul to him, becoming very vulnerable, telling him my weaknesses, telling him my story, you know, um, to tell him the things that I carried with me in my, my, my heart that I felt shame about. And he's just been very receptive, very kind and unjudgmental about it all. And he's just been a helping hand the entire time, you know, and so as I rise up out of these ashes, as I think of it, you know, it's him that's holding my hand and pulling me up uh, and carrying me along. I, I, I just can't express how grateful I am to have met him. So here, I just wanted to come in and tell you guys a little bit about why it is we're doing what we're doing. And then show you guys a little bit what we're doing behind the scenes. And the reason why is because I think a lot of media today is hiding. It's hiding behind something. It's hiding behind somebody else's face. It's hiding behind somebody else's words. We've lost the ability to find the source of the seed. And so I just want to be completely open. Now I've been working with a number of people throughout this project. Trying to figure out a way to give them a voice. And specifically, we're thinking about the America Rancher. Because to me, it seems like the soil can't speak. So the grass speaks for it. But the grass can't speak, so the cow speaks for it. But the cow can't speak either. And so the rancher speaks for the cow, who speaks for the grass, who speaks for the soil, who speaks for the minerals and nutrients latched on to the stones that make up that soil. So let's see how we can give the America Rancher a voice again. I'm gonna shoot in every direction. Shoot in every direction. Shoot in every direction. But but you you know you know his story, you know, and you've seen his growth. And so is is there anything specific to that that you'd like to talk about? So sort of like talking about you know 
just, you know, from when we first met Ronnie or from when I first got that email from you, when I first started to get to know your story and to see your growth now is a real testament to this, this, and the other thing. Is there something you could talk about? All right, cool. Ronnie, I know that you felt, you feel a little uncomfortable talking about your help with the government assistance, but I think that it's truly the American story. I really, and to to see someone grow from getting government assistance, which usually becomes a lifelong thing to, you broke out of it and now you're sovereign. I mean, we gotta, I feel like we gotta tell that story. Is that, so is that cool for Cole to, to mention that in his yeah. summary of her growth? Yeah, no problem. All right. All right, cool. So let's do it. Whenever you're ready. All right. So, yeah, whenever you're ready. You know, when when I met Ronnie and the very talk, first... Talk to, talk to Ronnie, though. Say, talk okay. that, like, just you and him. Got it. Yeah. So, Ronnie, you know, the first time I met you... Um, I saw a few things. I saw someone that was extremely excited and and uh, very passionate about uh, the movement we were doing with the Beef Initiative. And quite frankly, from my perspective, uh, I was a little nervous because I've never seen someone get so excited about what I just seem as an everyday job for me. Um, I have that own passion myself about what I do, but most people don't in fact the agriculture industry has been stomped on and kicked around for so long i kind of looked and was wondering like man what is this guy's angle uh why is he so upbeat why is he so positive why is he telling me what we're doing is so great because uh i honestly just feel like it was just another another day and what i watched over months is is your, not only your participation uh, and your your commentary, your feedback, and uh, through social media platforms and in person, but I watched you grow. Um, quite frankly, and as I've gotten to know you, I learned a lot more than than what um, you know what meets the eye initially. I did not know your whole story. I did not know that your health had gotten so so bad that I mean, basically, they sent you on, on hospice. And at that point, I mean, you were having to get government assistance because you couldn't work. And I think it's full circle and and so strong because you and I, you're seeing now at the processing plant some of the same challenges we're having getting uh talent to go to workforce and uh, you know some of the challenges we're having with our own workforce because so many people would rather have that government assistance and not have sovereignty than come to work and have a life of fulfillment each day and I think you're the perfect representation of what that looks like you've been um, you know now that you've come on full time I've uh, I've turned a lot of things over uh, that were on my plate and um, I hope I haven't uh, overworked your ass, <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> you know, having someone that passionate is huge for me because it allows me to take our company other directions and other angles that I was constrained in doing on my own. And for once, I I can see light of what what we can do and what we're going to accomplish with KNC Cattle, with the Beef Initiative and our partnership, and with Hometown Meat Market. Um, 
And we see it every day in the traffic flow that's coming in. People have a different approach when they come in our building now because they feel that same positivity with you being uh, the focal point of our business. How's that? That was awesome. Texas Slim here. I hope you really enjoyed that episode. From Ann Warren to Cole Bolton to Kel to Ronnie, we all have a story. We're all pointing our compass into a new form of food intelligence. And always remember, we are podcasting 2.0. Stream Bitcoin, earn Bitcoin. Download the Fountain app now. And if you like what you hear, consider sending us a boost. Value for value. Food intelligence on a Bitcoin standard. I am Texas Sun. Are you? Until next time, fix the money, fix the food. This is Texas Sun for Texas Slam's Media.